welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pot of thunder and rock and roll. And I have got one of the true pioneers in a behind the scenes wrestling influential man. AEW producer Keith Mitchell is on the show today. Uh, he is a longtime wrestling producer who I actually met for the first time back in WCW in 1996. He was a producer for Impact for many years after WCW. He actually started world-class wrestling with the Von Erichs back in the 80s, and he helped kind of launch ring music for the different wrestlers, video packages like the ones you see on a weekly basis. Keith Mitchell was the first to do both of those things and so many more. Uh, Keith is actually retiring after 40 years. He produced his very last wrestling show last week, AEW Dynamite's New Year's Smash in Jacksonville, Florida. So in celebration of his incredible and influential uh, career, he's telling us stories from many of the events and shows he produced, both in the ring and behind the scenes. He's explaining the difference between a producer or director and a technical producer of a wrestling show and why he was never interested in the last two. Keith's also talking about his start in wrestling and specifically television production for wrestling, how he landed at WCW, what drew him to Impact and TNA. He's also sharing his AEW story and how he started with the very first show that happened way back in 2019 and how he came to spend his final working days with us all the way to the end of 2021. Keith's also talking about some of his favorite matches and performances, some of the funnier things he's run into and overcoming the business. So much history between Dusty Rhodes and Fritz Von Erich, David Von Erich, uh, Ric Flair, David Crockett, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We'll also talk about the very last WCW show where Vince McMahon and Shane McMahon took over the company. So many great stories and historical moments in the career of Keith Mitchell, his retirement, his incredible career in the business, and we're celebrating that today on Talk is Jericho. And talk about celebrating, there are still cabins left for Chris Jericho's Rock and Wrestling Rager at Sea, the Four Leaf Clover, setting sail March 14th. Got an incredible lineup of talent joining us. Uh, go to book a cabin now at ChrisJerichoCruise.com and come rock with Fozzie and our new drummer, Grant Brooks, just announced earlier this week. Uh, Frank Fonsere stepped down and Grant is in and will be joining us on the Save the World Tour that is starting March 31st. This time we're heading west, east, central, all over the place. We'll even be in California starting May 5th at the infamous Whiskey Agogo. Tickets are available at FozzyRock.com. Don't forget about our legendary VIP meet and greets. It's one of the best in the business. Get your tickets and meet and greets and VIPs at FozzyRock.com. Go check that out. We are going to rock your socks off, and we're going to have a great time today with the legendary production pioneer Keith Mitchell on this day of his retirement right here, right now on Talk is Jericho. So it's uh, a bittersweet day today because if there was a Hall of Fame for, I guess, wrestling directors, producers... Whatever you might say, Keith Mitchell would be one of the top names uh, in the business. Uh, so is that what you would say, Keith, a director? Is that well, what I'm, it is? I'm the producer, actually. Tim Walbert directs uh, right. AEW. So that's of- always been a misnomer through my whole career. Everybody has always called me the director. Mm-hmm. And I've only directed, you know, 20 or 30 shows, probably all total in the, in the you know, 40 years I've been doing So let it. me ask you this then. It, 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 what is the difference between directing a wrestling show and producing the show? Because you're basically at the helm as right, the executive right. producer almost. And right? the producer, and an executive producer and a line producer are actually two different 
positions as well. The line producer is the person that sets up at the front bench, calls the show. The show doesn't start until he, you know, says roll tape or, you know, roll the music or whatever. The director is kind of the person that's taking you step by step through the trip. And the producer is kind of the one saying, hey, we're going to go to, you know, Dallas first, then we're going to go to Fort Worth. And then, you know, Mm -hmm. so it's. He sees the big picture and takes it kind of and deals with the kind of backs behind the scenes, the 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 music, the lighting. The while a director can call cues, the producers setting cues up, kind of working on the flow. So it's that well, you have to work hand in hand. It's almost like I always describe it sort of like a marriage. You know, it's an old couple sitting there and the you know the the wife and the husband, and you're kind of you know you always have to have this camaraderie in this uh you know ability to work together which Mm -hmm. i think tim is awesome at that he and i you know it's hand in glove and there's you know several people that i've worked with that directed that are that are similar but tim is probably you know Mm -hmm. definitely one of the best if not the best but so if that makes sense i mean the producer is is like you know for instance for for your entrance you know i'd be the one making sure in, you're in position making sure the sure the music's queued up you know and even probably calling your music but tim would be the the director would say he would be telling the cameraman what to do because there's gotcha. no so he's he's calling shot by shot you know this shot's coming up next he'll ready a camera ready the chip ready camera six you know have set camera six moving mm-hmm. then he'll dissolve to that you know whatever the the nuts and bolts of the the video that goes you know through the through the switcher he's talking to the technical director who's sitting next to him who's actually switching that which is gotcha. probably the hardest job yeah, on the, the show right. i can't even figure out how to <laughs> i started out my first job i i had to use one of those and i decided real quick that that was not for, for me i didn't want to try <laughs> so, to so how long have you been producing wrestling for you know producing why well, you know that's a good question i don't i don't really i'd or have involved in wrestling involved shows, in so. wrestling probably for 40 years Gosh. you know close to that and i started in my first job in television uh right out of college was a director at this little tv station in port arthur texas and, you know, the, it's one of those places where people go and move up as quickly as they can. And as soon as I got there, the guy that I was hoping to learn how to direct and use the switcher and all these things, learned that from him. Well, he got a job in Houston and was leaving in like a week. <laughs> so, so I'm there a week and I'm like the senior director and there's no way I can teach myself. So pretty quickly I realized there was no future in this. So I, you know. So how did you Dallas. get involved in, in, in wrestling then? Well, the, the T, I, I uh, you know, just found a job at a local television station in Dallas. I went back home and, you know, looked, looked for a job and finally found one. Uh, worked at night cleaning carpets while I gave me all day long to look for a job. And just, it was tough to get a job in television. That's why so many people start in the small market, because starting in Dallas is, you know, Right. Next, next impossible. But so I got a job at the TV station. Uh, you know, very simple job editing film for the film department, and just started on the bottom. And luckily for me, the television station owned a production mobile unit, and and the general manager of the station, you know, wanted to do make a splash in the market by, you know, being the sports station. And it was almost like the, I don't know if you ever saw the. UHF uh, uh, 
a movie. I don't remember who was Weird it. Al Yankovic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> totally. It's very similar to that. And as a as a an aside to the whole thing, it was owned by Pat Robertson, so it was owned by the Christian Broadcasting oh, Network. Oh, gotcha. And uh, so it was, you know, it was kind of a eventually sort of a clash of cultures of, of ideas. sorts, right? You know, <laughs> but uh, so we did we did Southwest Conference football, basketball, you know. Uh, sports and I was just lucky enough to be at the time when you know mini cams were coming out we called them mini cams mm-hmm. portable cameras and I you know got to be on board with starting to shoot that because I was you know I had a college degree and 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 I was low man on the totem pole and within I don't know a few years I was running the whole department and so was world-class kind of the first wrestling company that you yes, got involved yes yes so, 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 so we were because we were doing the you know the the sports and everything gotcha. the general manager wanted to make a splash he and fritz made a deal and we started you know doing the wrestling show i started producing packages for it and everything and you know pretty quickly uh started producing the show uh and then you know well, let's we, talk about world-class because at the time uh, you're talking about 81, 82, 83. Yeah. World class was very, very popular in Texas, especially Dallas. It was yeah. one of the number one shows in the market from what I from what I understand, correct? Yes, pretty much so. Definitely on the TV station, on the, our, our station. Uh, and of course, it was number one at, at its time period. And it didn't start, you know, we, it moved around a couple of different spots. It was on a Friday night. It was on a Saturday. Finally, it landed at a you know good time slot for wrestling, which was eleven o'clock Sunday morning. Believe mm. it or not, so you know there's not a lot of competition. And but we, when I started doing it, we had like five markets that Fritz was already part of his territory that he was already booking. You know, San Antonio, El Paso. I think maybe Victoria, you know, Around Corpus Dallas, Christi. of course. Yeah. yeah, Dallas and Fort Worth. And, of course, the other – it was a territory day, so yeah. it was, you know. Uh, but so uh, – and we, you know, started syndicating the show. That we, The salesmen that worked for the TV station started getting other markets that would air the show, you know, and next – within, I don't know the exact time period, probably a couple of years, we were, you know, shipping 122 – shows every monday morning i would go to this and but wow but the rest should be to 122 different markets you're yeah saying? yeah wow. and uh because we were doing so you know we had the remote unit the mobile unit we had a couple nice side studios so we did a lot of other production and wrestling was only every other week for mm-hmm. me every other friday night i would go to this i'd meet tuesday after a taping or a shooting and uh meet with ken mentel and and Dave, was he the booker? Uh, Dave Manning, he was the booker. Yeah. He was the booker. Uh, meet with Dave Manning, and uh, you know we'd go over the shows that were upcoming. I would handwrite the formats. I can't believe I had a stack <laughs> of them when I moved to Georgia. I cleaned out the attic and threw them all away. I wish I had them. Oh but, yeah, for sure. So I'd write out the format. There'd be like you know interview or a package of music video we would you know do or whatever. In the meantime, you know between then and the next taping. So we would go in and tape two one-hour shows and live to tape, which I think is we were, I mean, truly live to tape and as if it were, you know, but rolling no in all the no editing. So I would leave there on Friday night with two completed shows, put one on the shelf. The dubber would come in, load all the commercials, make 122 dubs and ship them out Monday. And I would put the other one in my office. And the next Friday I would do the same thing. And in the meantime, we would do, 
you know, maybe music concerts or sports or whatever. So it took a little while before wrestling really became all I did. Right. And so that was that went on for even the even, you know, up until I moved to Atlanta, I was doing, you know, wrestling was one of many different projects clients we that on. we had. So if you're talking about the early days, it's still very much a kayfabe. Uh, element were, were they letting you in on what kind of what was going on very little really very little uh so what did you think did you kind of catch on to what was going no, on no i mean i knew i guess i should say very little by by only like the finishes only not necessarily the build on on whatever was happening gotcha but but you know eventually it was it was uh you know a, a trust thing you you know if you just didn't build up that trust in in a day gotcha. it took a little while and you know, Ken would take me under his wing, you know, we don't talk about this. And I, I remember one time my brother came to the show with me and Ken was like, took, afterwards he took me off to the side, you know, even even families, you know, explain to me that basically you may not even be able to trust your brother. And, you know, I mean, I, I got it eventually, yeah. but but it was it was uh, a strange time because my camera guys didn't know. Wow. And and uh, you know one time, Skandar Akbar was doing a uh, you know they were going to do a I don't remember who it was even with but he was going to do a, a hair spot you know so or, you know a, a hair versus hair whatever eventually you know they're building up to it and yeah. it started out with scissors in the ring and it was time for somebody to grab the scissors after they've been dropped you know in the ring whatever and. I can't believe I'm saying all this because I've, <laughs> I've never break kayfabe in my whole life, you know. But it's forty years. It's okay. It's okay. It's a different it's world okay. now. Yeah. It's a different world now. But but uh, the scissors. So we start looking for the scissors. They're not there. And I said, "Where are the scissors?" And one of the camera guys, and I love him to death, <laughs> said, "I grabbed him. I was afraid somebody was going to get hurt." And I said, "Put the effing." scissors back where you got them and never touch anything <laughs> in the ring again and you know i think at that point they all just kind of started i mean everybody sort of knew but sure. they didn't really you know you know, know it's funny right. because in japan now oh. 2020 they don't tell the camera guys or anything and they'll catch stuff sometimes if someone's doing something that you don't want the camera right. to see but yeah. the camera don't know any better don't know and any the director's better. not tuned in it's like you gotta tell somebody <laughs> or else you're catching these gig I, I don't see how they I don't see how they do it without without yeah. knowing but that's how know? it was 40 years prior right, right. Yeah. yeah absolutely so let me ask you this you mentioned music videos now now you were one of the pioneers of of doing music videos and maybe even ring music as well kind of tell us about the videos well you know i mean the the first music that we really played was probably you know michael hayes uh had you know entrance music and freebird and right freebird yeah. and uh um you know we dan bynum who worked with me produced a lot of the music videos as well he was my director at that time and i made the 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 one that everybody remembers is is carry on the horse on the horse you know? right tell us about that ah uh, well it's a classic you know, it was conan the barbarian movie is that you know and it just it so i go to i go out to uh fritz's ranch and david uh has a house on the you know all the boys i guess had houses on the ranch and and so I go to to shoot the horse scene, and and David is like livid. He is so pissed off, and he calls up Fritz and is, God 
damn it, Fritz, Dad, horses are my gimmick. if horses can be a gimmick you know and only in wrestling can horses be a gimmick so there was a lot of tension a lot of you know David didn't want to let Kerry ride his horse so but so we say okay you know Fritz I said David I'll come back I'll do some footage of you you know cowboy riding horse and all that stuff calmed him down Fritz calmed him down so we did the the horse riding and on the bareback it was cool we you know in those days you couldn't just go to a music uh, or a video library and pull up a, you know a, a tiger right you right know? so we as well film we'll go, yeah we'll go to the zoo and uh shoot a tiger so my <laughs> camera guy you know getting up there real close oz coleman love him to death best best camera guy one of the best camera guys i ever worked with but he gets close trying to get that real tight shot of the tiger man and He's lighting the shot up, and right in the middle of it, the the tiger stands up to the side of the cage, reared reared its hind leg, and just sprayed him down, man. And tiger piss is some of the stinkiest <laughs> stuff you could have. So the rest of the day, he's bless his heart, he's having to smell like tiger piss. But so you know, I mean, it's just stuff like that, you know. We just because because but, but also too that the Von Erichs at this time, Carrie and David were, were were rock stars. Oh yeah, the chicks went nuts for them. Yeah, it's so crazy. You, You'd you'd want to do these videos to kind of focus in on them, yeah. to, to build, build up the character with the whole rock image and the you know appealing to the because uh, you know as you know in in the wrestling business if you get you know eighteen sixteen to twenty two year yes. old ladies then you're gonna get the that pops fourteen to twenty five yeah. the thirty year old guys plus the you know everybody yeah. all the hangers on on either side of all that age wise so. So, you know, I mean, that's kind of the, the, the plan. And Had you seen music videos in wrestling before? Was this something that you no, guys kind of created the idea? No, I don't think so. We just kind of came up with the idea. There was, you know, a collaboration of a lot of a lot of talented and creative people. And, and you know, kind everybody. Of based kind of based on, like, MTV being yeah, so popular? Yeah, well, actually, this was basically probably, I don't think that we even had MTV. Uh, in, I mean, I know I didn't. And it was very young. In mm-hmm. fact, I remember early on calling MTV uh, bitching because they were using some of our wrestling footage on a music video for George Thorogood. Remember? Oh, wow. Yeah. Bad to the bone, you know, and I call him up and I'm bitching. Guy like it, like it really, you know, <laughs> like it really mattered. Right. You know, but, uh, you know, it's just a transition. Wrestling was becoming a uh, we were shooting it like we would a sport and that's all we did you know Mm -hmm. people think that it's all you know some great genius idea we just did wrestling like we did sport boxing Mm. you know exact same you know same camera setup handheld cameras ringside you know mics on the cameras and Mm. playing show theme or and it's i think the thing that really made our show work the best was my philosophy was try to make it like you're sitting in the front row when you watch this. It's a ringside seat to sing it. So a lot more close-up shots, a lot more audience reaction, a lot more cheering. You know, the cool thing about the the sportatorium was the Von Erichs came walked in right through the crowd. You know, right down the middle of the people. We had the cowboys that came in with them. The guys that I call them the cowboys that wore the cowboy hats. And you didn't want to me- you didn't want to get out of line with those guys uh-huh. coming down. You wouldn't see it on camera, but you would get like severely reprimanded yeah. if you if you didn't <laughs> let those boys through. You know, but uh, Fritz told me the story of uh, when he was coming through an 
old lady pulled out a hat pin out of it and stuck it, you know, all, as far as it would go in his thigh. He, so from then on, he was very, you know, he was yeah. very protective of, of guys <laughs> going through the crowd. But, but uh, it used to be the big thing, the old ladies and the hat pins. Oh, yeah. You hear yeah. that everywhere. You know, yeah. It didn't you matter what know. territory yeah, it was. Yeah, it's probably some big lie. They probably heard it, too. You know, it's wrestling <laughs> That's stories. Right. That's they right. exa- get exaggerated, you know. Now, just quickly before we move out of world class, you mentioned the, the ring music and Michael Hayes using Freebird. Uh, prior to this, were guys just coming to the ring yeah. in total silence? We usually start, yeah, yeah, pretty much. And we usually started... Uh, you know the match, the show matches with the guys in the ring. I mean, it's very and it's it's so rare now. Mm-hmm. You know, although it's we're kind of doing it more, especially in AEW, to kind of get in the action a little bit more. And it's not a bad thing. It's it really in those days it was expected. You know, you didn't really you didn't really build up those earlier matches you just started maybe with the ring announcer in the ring you know this guy that guy blah blah ring the bell you know so so, so was it Hayes that had the, the idea to play the music or um he guys? brought the music pretty much with him and I don't think we were you know I don't think we were playing music for anyone else prior to him wow. I'm sure he would tell you that yeah yeah but and he would probably be right, that you know. Thinking, well, we should probably get music. For yeah, yeah. The fun, you know, the boy, you know, especially when we started doing it for, you know, music videos, and that's amazing. And, uh, what was the peak of your time in world class? Oh man, well, it had to be, I mean, it was a a real kind of like today, very bittersweet. The day that Carrie uh, won the belt from from Rick from Flair Texas at Stadium. Texas Stadium, you know, because it was a the wounds were still raw from losing David, you know, and it was, and nobody knew in the truck. I was the only one that knew that Carrie was going over. Oh, wow. I didn't even expect it to be a backslide, you know. I mean, who wins a <laughs> who wins a title match with a backslide? So somebody the, probably, but you didn't know I didn't the know the finish. I knew he was going over, but I didn't know the finish. Wow. And uh, um, the forty thousand people, man, just went crazy, crying. People in the, my camera guys were crying people in the truck were crying because we were we'd gotten really cl- i mean david david was uh and i don't want to you know big favorites but david was probably the one i was closest to uh, the boys you know what was and, he like to tell us a little about him oh man he was very cowboy i mean he lived the cowboy when we went you know he was going out of country he was going to japan and before when he came back from japan he wanted to have new entrance music it was a song uh tanya tucker's when i die may not go to heaven texas is as close as i've been so we're you know wow shooting him being a cowboy riding a horse you know all these different scenes the and uh so we're taking a break and he we got me and a couple camera guys and in him just kind of you know just sit down in his bedroom and he starts pulling out all these different guns that he's got this gun that gun and he was like had like one of the first you know ars i'd ever seen in the guy <laughs> and i can see he's sitting there and he's i can just see he's sort of starting to realize that man i'm sitting here showing all these guys i, I know keith but i don't know you know <laughs> i can see the see the realization coming to his face it's like man that shouldn't be showing these guys all my guns you know so that he he i could see that just this you know bright idea lighting up his face and he jumps he said this is what i do if marks pull up in my front yard and runs out on the front porch 
racks the AR and starts shooting into this pine tree in his front yard about camera guys. They're city boys, you know. They're like, oh my God, their eyes get bigger rounds, you know. They're, and he goes back in the house and they're looking at me and looking at each other. They're like, man, this guy's crazy. And I said, man, this guy's going to get his ass chewed out when his wife gets home and sees all the bark shot off his pine tree in his front yard you know so, but he comes back but he comes up with this great idea that uh right down the road there's this old cemetery that you know has been on the ranch and, and old tombstones and everything and he says you know we let's go to the cemetery and you know shoot some footage which i'm thinking hey that's pretty cool you know the old cowboy leaning up against the tombstone you know with the this hat pulled down. Yeah. You see the silhouette. You know, it's a sort of a, a, a Western theme. Well, my camera guys will not go to the cemetery, so I have to go <laughs> with with the recorder, me and David, and we go down and I shoot up, set up different scene. You know, little shots of him walking by a tombstone and all these different things to use. And I went back home came back to work the next monday morning and i'm hanging out in my office i think i might have been taking a nap on my couch in my office or whatever the phone rings pick it up and it's ken mantell saying keith are you sitting down i said yeah and he said well we lost carrie i mean we lost david and i've never looked at that footage the footage uh, to this day i have that footage wow. i've never looked at it but but i say all that to say that david was a cow he was the character that you saw in the ring man i mean he was a cowboy he was a badass he was a a genuine guy david was a fairly good worker too the best good of the best so. of the von erics no yeah. doubt yeah talk is jericho is brought to you in part by steven singer jewelers the moment you've been waiting for is finally here steven singer is announcing his brand new rose color for this valentine's day are you ready? Click your heels three times and say, I wish I knew what the new color is. Well, the wish is granted. Steven Singer's brand new rose color is Emerald City. Picture it, a real rose dipped and trimmed in pure 24 karat gold with sparkling deep green petals. This magical Emerald City rose will take her breath away this Valentine's Day as she opens that beautiful gift box to reveal a real rose encased in brilliant 24 karat gold set against stunning deep green. Go to IHateStevenSinger.com today and get your Steven Singer Emerald City 24 karat gold dipped rose. Get yours before they're gone exclusively and only available at Steven Singer Jewelers. It's the number one gift this Valentine's Day. Steven's famous gold dip roses start at just $59, and they all come with a lifetime guarantee and fast and free shipping. Real jewelers, real roses for your real love, all at IHateStevenSinger.com. IHateStevenSinger.com. Go check it out now. So, so what kind of uh, prompted you to go, you've mentioned a few times, to go to Atlanta to work for NWA, well, WCW? I turned them down a couple different times during the years. I don't remember exactly when it was. And then it was kind of funny. Uh, they wanted me to come and talk to Bob Bartholomew, who, who was like Ted's right-hand man. He was the president of the the Braves and all this. So oh, okay. I saw, and I didn't really realize who that was. So I, they picked me up in the 
you know, in the big black limo and take me downtown Atlanta and see an in center, the top floor. And then I'll, I'm going to the top floor and I'm walking out and here's, you know, Ted's office and all these. Here's, you know, the ruby slippers from Gone with the Wind in the <laughs> showcase here. And I'm this, you know, this uh, kid from Arlington, Tech, right, Fort Worth, Texas. Yeah, it's just, what is going on here? But so I went in and talked to him. He was a very personable guy. And, and uh, you know, we met, got along well, and went back home. And the next day, Bill Shaw, who you remember from, like, way on, you know, years later. But he was the uh, human resources guy. And he called me up and said, hey, you know, you did well in the interview. Bob's interested, you know, blah. What they want to do is they want you to put together a proposal of what you would do to start your own wrestling company. How would you promote the pay-per-views? How would you mm. blah, blah, blah. And I'm starting, you know. And at the time, I didn't really start putting two and two together yet. But, oh. I, but I told. This is previous to Turner buying it. Yes. Oh. I told Bill Shaw that I was, you know, in those days, someone that worked at the local TV station, the local, the, the territory promoter always had an inside guy at the local TV station. I was Fritz's in, in Dallas. Wayne Daniels was the Crockett's in, you know, Charlotte. They, and they get extra, I mean, you get dubs done, you get all the stuff done that you need to get done without mm -hmm. having to go through the, you know, the upper management and whatever. But so, you know, you get a little little cash on the side for doing that. A little that. kickback. You yeah. know, a little kickback, <laughs> sort of, I guess. We, I was just looking at it as a uh, uh, per diem, you know, sure, a little per diem, whatever. But I felt like enough of, a, you know, a relationship with Fritz that, you know, when I told Bill, I said, I'm not going to tell you how. To, I'm working for a wrestling company now. I'm not going to put together a proposal to show you guys how to go into competition with and beat the person that I'm working for. I said, I can do all, I can do those things, but I'm not going to do it and give it to y'all. Right. You're the competition. You have to hire me. You know, <laughs> right. And not only that, I didn't even know if I really wanted to go there because I was happy in Dallas and the job I was doing because, you know, we were doing other sports, football, cow we had a football cowboy style. I had two field passes and two press passes to every home cowboy game you know oh, yeah. we just had a you know it's just yeah. all the just good perks and and uh a lots of uh you know a lot of other smu football and mm -hmm. things so i turned them down basically and a few months late like within a very few months i was uh got word that that uh jimmy crockett was was looking to do a magazine style show you know whatever there in their offices were in dallas and i went and talked to jimmy and and i think i might have let the cat out of the bag a little bit a little <laughs> bit at that meeting maybe uh in talking with him what you know kind of the what was going on in the wrestling business and uh you know within a very short period of time uh crockett had sold to turner to is turn. now buying you know Crockett Promotions, and uh, after that, I met you know with Jim Hurd. He was the head of the company. He was the head of the company. He was running uh, world class, and he called you know I got 
a call from him wanting me to come and this was probably a year later maybe this was this was i think i first went to them in 88 went met with uh bill in like 80 88 maybe something like that in 89 anyway you know i heard called me i came out interviewed with or i met him in dallas actually because crockett's they still use sure. crockett's offices that were there in dallas yeah. but i went with him and and uh you know kind of decided it might be time because there was uh basically if you lived in dallas there was this dallas communications complex that was supposed to be the new you know production state of the art sta- yeah yeah midway between new york and la because in those days you either had to live in new york or la right. to work in broadcasting and to go anywhere and dallas was going to be like the in-between but you know i kind of realized that because they sort of missed the boat on that and it, a- atlanta with cnn and everything pretty much took that mantle away from mm-hmm. from dallas and it just looked like it would be a good opportunity so you know, I'm so you come in as kind of the head producer the of for, WCW. Yeah, I think I don't even remember what my job title was, production manager, or whatever. Mm-hmm. But basically, I was in charge of television, which was a mess. I mean, there there was so it was there was just so much going on. It was it was and by a mess, I mean just a lot of there was. Still offices in Charlotte. There was an office gotcha. in Dallas. There were people, you know, still kind of scattered that hadn't really, you know, come together in Atlanta. And they were already building a, a little uh, inserts uh, studio down on the first floor. You probably remember the mm-hmm. our little, you know, yeah, I do <laughs> that little room down there and a couple of edit suites. And I knew while they were building it that it was too small. But but uh, by that point, Jack Jack Petrick was, you know running the show he was the you know president of wcw or whatever gotcha. it, was his, it was his vision to have sort of a tourist attraction on the first floor so people could walk by and see the wrestling wrestlers cutting promos oh, in the studio like you know which first thing the first thing i did was put up <laughs> <laughs> lines so you yeah, couldn't right. see in the studio yeah, yeah, yeah. you know but uh it was a it was a, a so how, how did you because you mentioned you, you come into wcw and you're cleaning it up and, and obviously it's it's early 90s was not a good time for for wcw no. so talk a little bit about that and then when suddenly nitro starts and just the whole concept of nitro because then it went through the the roof completely opposite from what you right. had experienced right. just a few years prior yes and we it, you know the, the obviously when you're when you're uh producing a weekly several weekly show i mean we had two cent two hours on syndication uh worldwide in wcw pro we had two hours saturday night which was and that was the main show main show the the mothership Mm -hmm. then we had uh power hour which was like nine or ten o'clock saturday morning Mm -hmm. and then we had main event which was sunday night and we edited a syndicated version of main event so we were producing when I walked into it it was like a train going down the tracks at 90 miles an hour and I had to jump on board and figure out <laughs> what was going on quick. and you know what just quick uh, plus you know you throw in a pay-per-view here and there and a clash of champions which right. were already up and Those running huge too absolutely and you know it was uh, and I came in at a pretty good time there was they were you know slumping numbers but 
you know they had a pretty good thing going with with uh flair and uh funk and and you know the clash of champions coming up so we popped a good number with that i think we did a five or something like that i don't remember what we did but it was was the biggest number they had done in a while so just because i was there you know i got some of the credit which Mm -hmm. was not at all (laughs) (laughs) not at all deserved because you know we're just i'm just counting backwards from 10 (laughs) everybody else is doing all the hard work (laughs) thanks to our friends at geico for supporting talk is jericho do you own or rent your home if you do you know it can be hard work but you know what's easy is bundling policies with geico geico makes it easy to bundle your homeowners or renters insurance along with your auto policy and it's a good thing too because you already have so much to do around your home Go to Geico.com, get a quote, and see how much you could save. It's Geico easy. Visit Geico.com today. That's Geico.com. So so let's talk about them when, when you, because I remember living in Knoxville in 94, working for, for Cornette, and WCW became a town, and they were giving out tickets with the phone bill. If you were on AT&T, it's like, here's your bill, and here's two yeah, tickets here's two to the tickets Knoxville come. Coliseum. We couldn't, they couldn't pay people. At, at that point in time, so, so how I, would you do that? T- producing television, it was it was it was it hard horrible. Camps? Yeah, I mean it was horrible. And Jim, Jim Hurt told me one time or asked me, he said, "Why is it that I look at the WWF in those days show their video there, and they've got this big, you know, full look, and I look at ours and we got this big black stripe across the top of the frame." I said, well, Jim, that black stripe is where there are no people sitting. Wow. (laughs) You know, so, well, no, I mean, it was just dark. Oh, I see. So, because (laughs) when you don't have something to light, you try to, when you go into an arena like that, you have, you have two choices. You either light up the whole arena so you can see where it, or you make your viewer not be aware of the dimensions of the building or where the crowd ends by making it black. Because if you don't, all of a sudden you're going to have, you know, five rows of people and, you know, a whole bleacher sections of empty seats, (laughs) you know? So, and I mean, I remember one time we went to the Georgia mountain center in Gainesville. We, you know, and it's, it'd be very discouraging because it's not an easy thing to set up to do a TV show. It's a lot easier back then than nowadays. But even then, I mean, it's a full day thing. People are running cable. Mm-hmm. You're so, and all of a sudden, you don't have any people there. I mean, it was, we had so few people at a Georgia Mountain Center taping that we canceled the taping. I think there were like 20 people in the oh, audience. Yeah. And we were supposed to do like, I don't even remember what shows. We, and I don't remember how we worked around it but we completely had to pull the plug it just looked so bad on tv you you couldn't do it it was all empty seats and in an arena like it's one thing if you're in a little studio and you're doing a studio show and it's okay Mm -hmm. you know you can you can uh look past the fact that there's no one there because it's a studio but you're in a you know even a eight hundred a thousand seat building it's going to be very obvious that there's only 20 people there and, you know, one of the worst things that you, I mean, if you're sitting there changing the channel and you come to something where there's nobody watching, it's like, you know, it's like. Discouraging. What, yeah. Oh, well, you just, the viewer's going to change the channel. Yeah. They're not going to watch it because yeah. obviously it's very uninteresting because no one's there to watch it, yeah. you know. So it's, and it, it was a, a pretty good while before we started getting, before 
and and a lot of that was you know when eric came in got things going with the whole you know the whole NWO. how was it for eric for you when when eric came in how did that affect you was he hands on uh, what you were doing or when he first came in he came in as an announcer right and and i thought he was a great announcer and still do to this day i mean he did in fact you know we he and i both and tony Schiavone and i think david crockett and just a lot of us you know interviewed for that job and you know uh oh for like to be the head of the be, yeah to be gotcha. you know and and i told bill that I, I said bill i know what it takes to do this job and i said i don't think anybody that knows what it takes to do this job would want it because mm. I sure don't. Yeah. Because it's going to take somebody that's, I didn't say this part of it, but it's going to take somebody that is willing to dedicate 24-7 to doing it. And I just, at that point in time, I had three kids, yeah. you know. I mean, I didn't want to work around the clock. And so he asked me what I thought about the different people. And, you know, he I could tell that he was, you know, high on Eric. And 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 I you know I agreed with him that Eric would was the guy w- not necessarily the guy but could I thought Eric could do the job because he's bright young you know and I think there were several people that you know that that could have filled that bill uh, it, although I knew it would be difficult for anybody and it could be that Eric was the only guy that that right. you know and it doesn't matter because he's the guy that did it and did a damn good job of it you know. So how did that work for you when the company starts getting big? Because now, I remember for one, I started there in 96, and there was a point in time where we did, gosh, six or seven stadium shows in a row every Monday, it seemed. You know, it was very hot at the time. The cool factor was there. Uh, how did that affect your, your job? I just was on the road. Yeah. <laughs> I did a lot of traveling. You know, we, we would do, uh, in those days, we were doing a pay-per-view a month. So there were month every month at least one week a month you would have a live show on sunday night you would have a live show on monday night for a while we were having tuesday off and then live on wednesday with thunder and then when thunder moved to thursday we would have two days off and it would be you were just on the road all the time you know i mean it was at least one week you had four shows and it was very hard you know, I don't look back now. I, I have all my calendars from those yeah. days. And it's funny. I was flipping through them a while back, kind of reminiscing and looking. And there's a few dates and a few dates. And as I flip closer to the NWO days, all of a sudden the calendar is just jammed yeah. full. I don't see how we did it because I did every show. We every were, live we, show. I did all the live shows. We were. Uh, I found one of those calendars, too, from 97. And it was 24 days uh that month and that wasn't an anomaly it was 24 yes shows i don't month. see how you guys did it same I mean, thing. it was, it was tough like, on how me the hell are we it, getting... yeah right yeah right. it was quite uh quite amazing to think back and, and like yeah. you said this is pre-family for me so yeah. i really didn't have anything else to do but be on the road so i knew it was a lot but it wasn't killing me but for you having and, family and kids it makes and it really i would cool. land and go to the office all right because we were editing other the syndicated shows yeah. we were you know i was scheduling all the production it was like i don't know how i did it i couldn't do it at this age how about for someone because we did some strange like for like well, let's say a road wild those shows up in sturgis oh Would those were so diff- much fun though man those days because we we uh flew into denver and then traveled drove to casper yeah 
and it those days dusty and i were were you know traveling together and uh and one time he we picked up his brother uh in boulder and uh because we had a day or two off we went through buffalo and rented rented a cabin up in up in the mountains and trout fished and (laughs) hung out with dusty and his brother and my my traveling buddy at that time woody kiris who was uh uh uh, South Georgia character, he, but uh, so we would set up a, a ring in the middle of a field in Sturgis, South Dakota, parking lot or whatever. Parking was lot. It was, it was a dirt field, the field? and the motor yeah. and motorcycles would get all the uh, you know all around it. I don't know, fifteen, twenty, thirty deep. Yeah, and that's how they cheered. Was revving the engine. Yeah. you could go up on the side of the mountain. In Sturgis during Bike Week, and the whole side of the hills would just be shaking from motorcycles. Yeah. It was like, you know, the population went from like ten to about five hundred thousand. Yeah. That's it, not an exaggeration either. That's yeah, true. It's crazy. Yeah. But See, it was it was wild. I can remember hearing the sheriff talking about the you know on the radio to some of his deputies. The Hell's Angels were coming in from this direction, and and I think the Banditos from. Fort Worth were coming. They were worried about where they were going to meet up. And I mean, it's just Wild West out there. It's pretty crazy. You mentioned that you travel a lot with Dusty. Yeah, yeah, a lot, a lot. We'd, uh, you know, we would do a show and then you drive, you know, drive a few yeah. hours for the next town. And, and, you know, he and I both had kids about the same. In fact, you know, my youngest son, David, played, you know, catch with, with Cody, Cody. at, at the <laughs> columbus uh, uh you know uh georgia civic center or whatever the name of the building was you know so we so we you know not only we were we were both texans and you know had boys the same age and mm. you know and what a character i mean he would just keep me in stitches you know <laughs> for 200 miles i'd be tapping out like halfway like, give me a break <laughs> was there anybody else that you were close to over the years yeah you know a lot of a lot of people uh, Tony and I traveled together some. Shivani? Uh, yeah, Shivani and I. Uh, there were, you know, a lot of the different, a lot of the different guys. We, you know, there there would always be uh, fun after mm-hmm. the shows and hanging, the, out, hanging out afterwards. And, so I, I mean, obviously, there's there's we're encapsulating years and years and years into this, but I want to talk about AW and and you've been the the producer here since the start. And I know you did you did a long stay with with Impact as well. But let's talk about AW when you first got the call to come here. How did you end up here? And what did you think? Because you've been in the business even longer than I have. When I first heard the concept of AW, I was like, eh, whatever. Let's see. And then you realize, holy shit, this is viable and it could be something. But this is before even we started having our first shows. Yeah. So how did yeah. you get involved and what did you think at first? Well, um, first of all, I got a phone call from several different wrestling friends that you know hung out at the grapevine at the red river saloon after hours at the impact for years (laughs) that's true right you know kaz and and see and and chris daniels you know both called me hey you should talk to this guy well you know that the wrestling business there has been a rich person that's going to come in and change the business like every six months like clockwork you know it's like okay this next guy i got i stopped doing budgets in like 2000 
too because so many people would come i'd put a budget to this and it's like and then they'd never you know <laughs> and i names that you would know wrestlers that you know i got this guy and put in put yeah, together this I budget Toby keith for a while someone brought oh that yeah up. yeah yeah he was Toby, wanted he was, by impact oh and, yeah definitely yeah. absolutely but uh yeah and in fact you know toby came to the several and i i think that probably could have happened it levels, did, it, yeah. yeah it was close but so you know it's the it's the pie in the sky the the rich guy's gonna come in and and start it but so i tell him you know and then then cody called you know and i mean so i i uh said yeah i'll be happy to talk to him i always listen you know so uh, he called me up and we started Tony talking. Khan. Tony Khan mm-hmm. calls me. I said, "Yeah, tell him to call me. Here's my number." So he called me up and we started talking, you know. And then I think he re- he, he thought I was the director, you know, and I explained to him the difference. And so, and uh, so he called his partner Bernie, and they we had a three way chat and a little bit and hit it off pretty well. And he said, uh, "This this weekend." Uh, you know, Jaguars are playing at home. You know, come to the game, hang out. We'll meet them. Are you, you still know, living in Atlanta? I'm or? in Peachtree City, gotcha. little town south of Atlanta, close to the airport. Famous wrestler city. Famous wrestlers. Yeah. Lots of boys came to this day. That's true. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, you know, I go and go to the game. He comes, and I know he's a busy person during the game. I mean, he's, you know, fight VP and got yeah. a lot going on. So he came up to the. I met him just briefly, and I mean, he was in and out and and in a hurry, you know. Yeah. And, and but the next day, I go to his office and meet, and we talk, and and he kind of tells me sort of his vision for how you know what he wants to do, and brings me over here to Daly's place because he has a dream of Daly's place being you know a great venue, which you know for little me, did I was, we little did we know, did I know, but it, yeah, it's, first of all, I wasn't real excited about doing that because a stage in a, you know, an amphitheater is not a, right. an easy wrestling venue. section. Exactly. On so what are you going to do across town? So yeah. what are you going to do with all yeah. this? So, uh, yeah, but, but as a quick aside, I found out later that, uh, his inspiration for doing Daly's place was a an episode of South Park, which you I, I can tell you know that, and and, uh, and sure enough, I mean I got a frame from the South Park and compared it to the I put so I said I put a camera way up at the very top and gave him the exact same shot as the you know as the scene in South Park, but uh, so you know just just his enthusiasm, mm-hmm. I mean he was just so excited. And I was, you know, after doing Impact for close to 20 years. To, Gosh, it was that to, long. It was, yeah, 2000. We, we started from putting the start. it together. Yeah, we started putting it together like November 2001. And then, you know, by 2002, we were shooting it. Mm-hmm. And so this was, you know, 2018, October 2018. So it had been a long time. But so, so I... Uh, was very interested told him i was very very interested and wanted to talk more and as luck would have it i go to do impact the very next weekend in new york and come to find out the person that's head of their production was uh needing to move off the road and not so so they came to me you know talking about how important 
my position was at that point, how much they needed me, you know, and it was like, oh man, because I was just working. Right. Uh, you know, we would tape four shows in in a day. You sure. know, what couple, so it's short tapings and then be off. But so all of a sudden, I, I almost felt like if I leave these guys now, they're not going to have anybody <laughs> to do their production. Right. And and so I, you know, I didn't just want to drop them. So I'm not going to say I necessarily strung anybody along. I just delayed making a transition as long as I could until, you know, working with uh, the guys there, uh, you know, Andrew Thomas, who works for us us now, was, you know, directing at that point and kind of having some of this is prior to us even having AEW having a television deal. Oh, yes. Right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And when I took the job, we didn't have a show. Yeah, you too. Yeah, exactly. We're trying to do something maybe on Hulu or Netflix. Yeah, or Tony and I. In fact, Tony and I were talking about that last night. You know, meeting with Showtime. The fact that when we met with Showtime, we didn't really. Turner was kind of backing off of the deal, and Showtime gave him at least the mm. knowledge or the you know the security that someone else may well be interested. It was a great time because you know it was the Fox deal. They were talking billions of dollars now, and all this. All of a sudden, there's a lot more money on the table. Because yeah. you couldn't give a show away, you know, prior to that. And mm-hmm. so there's a lot of money on the table. So so when we finally do get started and you are, so you were here from show number one, October 2nd, uh, 2019 in Washington, D.C. You were there. Yeah. 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 And even, I mean, prior to that, MGM Grand That's right. Garden Arena in, in Las Vegas was, was That's right. that, I mean, that was pretty much a huge test for us in know? what way um because it's a new company we've never really done a show at all all we had done was that that you know pool party uh press conference yeah, yeah, at yeah. The, <laughs> out and by the pool which was fun to do and it you know it was it was a a, a good show but uh it was a test i mean we hadn't done that I was able to bring together a lot of people that had done a lot of TV. Because there's a lot of people here that I recognize from over oh, yeah, the years. Yeah, I have like my, our, our lighting director Jeff Bornstein was has been we've been working together since '91. Rick Fancher, who was, you know, here last night, I think he was he directed for and TD'd for me in in. Uh, '89, uh, you know, and he's a great director too. Mm. You know, but prior to Tim being my director, he directed for Impact. He directed for WCW. He, you know, just was uh, and still is, in all likelihood, a great director. He, you know, with COVID, he just, you know, uh, was that part of your of your uh, role was to put together the the television team, so to speak. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. You're That's like what the head I of it. Put, yep. Yep. Wow. And and you know Rocket came in as as uh, you know and our assistant director and 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 uh, you know uh, Paul Spitzer the TD my son mm-hmm. Matt's audio guy I mean this guys that you've worked with sure. for you know a long time so many yeah, of these so, faces and before, it's yeah. you know a lot of the team that worked for me all through Impact as well so going back to the live weekly TV now. Did that because uh, you mentioned you were working for Impact for twenty years, but they there was a short time when they did live TV, but now we're back. It's live, and yeah. there's there's something to it because right out of the gate, 
we had a little bit of a cool factor which is what you really need it's what wcw had in 96 97 yeah. Yeah. to really sway people H how was that for you being back on the road doing the live tv and did you feel something special was going on right yeah oh absolutely without a doubt right out of the gate i knew I, when we did when you know the the main uh, you know the biggest part of this industry is selling tickets mm. and when when mgm sold out in 30 minutes i knew mm. there was no doubt that this right. was going to be successful you know and and i knew we could do the shows that the, that we you know because mm -hmm. tony had the money that's why she you know you get money on the experience yeah. and passion put those together and it's success you know and the show it it was the show in dc our first show i, I brought my my uh last the format from the show in in uh panama city the last oh, nitro man. show to the first aew show to show it to the to the president of the, you know there were some some uh executives in the in the tv truck you know it the, on that night and i was passing the, i thought it was uh it was it was a, a good show and tell sure you know, sure good item Tell us quickly about that, about the last show in Panama City where oh. it's kind of, it was kind of a blending of WWE and WCW. It was yeah, kind of an it was show. it was very in, it was boy, it was a bizarre day and night. Uh, Sean was the one that, that you know that did the uh, uh, I guess he was executive producer for Vince came down and ran the show and, and you know it's the first time I'd ever met him and he Sean. McMahon. Oh, Shane, 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 Shane not yeah, Sean. Yeah, 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 Shane, Shane, yeah, yeah, Shane. Shane. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm good friends with all these guys. <laughs> I know all their names. <laughs> Shane, though. Shane, my bad. It was the strangest night of my career, man. Without a doubt. The only thing, and I just kind of just sat back and let them do. And funny thing is, the guy that directs for us now, Tim Walbert, was there that night. Is one of their guys. He was a WWE you know, guy. Yeah, yeah, WWE guy, and. But all I through the grapevine, I figured out that at the end of the show, they wanted to run a WrestleMania spot. I think it was WrestleMania. At some some pay per view spot, it probably was WrestleMania. And they had the spot, and they were trying to kayfabe all of us. They didn't want anybody at the network. So at the end of the night, I tried to get my AD, who was talking to uh, you know Atlanta with the camp, you know with the the countdown and tried to I would love to see somebody that the, the footage of somebody taped it off air to see whether or not they got that spot in because I think I counted about before he got the commercial in because I wanted one last you, you know to stick it to stick him stick yeah. it to him yeah for for uh so, so you out. knew that WWE was taking over. Oh, absolutely. There was, was no the doubt. And you know, we everybody that was there from WCW, I mean, you know, the people that were on staff, we were about to get, uh, you know, we knew we were going to get laid off, but a lot of us were going to get a nice severance package from Turner a month uh, per year, mm -hmm. you know. And so I was about to get a 13-month vacation. I wasn't really, you know, I needed it at that yeah, point. Sure. And, and, you know, we were we were so down and, and just no, I mean, you, you, the company bid for sale forever. Yeah. So uh, you're starting to get back to the yeah. the point that you said before too, where there wasn't a lot of people in the audience, and it was the at the kind of the was, last legs. Yeah. Yeah, the audiences had 
had completely gone away pretty much did you ever have any talks with 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 vince at all or, or any vince's people to go work for, for oh yeah week? multiple times yeah i uh i when i was at wccw oh wow in fact then. fritz bitched at me because i didn't take the job because he said that you know vince had you know several things you know the perceived attitude of the territory whether or not that's true i hear different stories from different people mm -hmm. moving to connecticut i was gonna say that <laughs> from, from texas <laughs> from texas to connecticut you know we my wife and i went up in february which you know it's not a good time yeah. to bring somebody in if you're trying to get them to move <laughs> trying to, to convince them to don't Connecticut. bring them in in february <laughs> bring maybe you know march or april or something. right and it was cold and to get the house that i had in texas on an acre of land in a nice house it wasn't anything mm -hmm. it was like you know five times what I, I couldn't have afforded the house that i was living in why would i move all the way across the country to live in yeah. a miserable climate and <laughs> <laughs> right next to new york city yeah and live in you know a, a house a third of the size of the one i'm living in now you know so it it uh but but uh i met with uh uh linda mm -hmm. and she was as sweet as she could be she was like uh, just the a very very nice person and i you know but you worked non-stop anyways everywhere else <laughs> last right. few things as we, as we start to wind down i wanted to ask you what was it like you know we mentioned the first three months of aw uh where you know it's the land of milk and honey and we're living high in the hog and then suddenly this freaking pandemic comes yeah. we're now it's we're begging to have 20 people in the crowd we have nobody in the crowd nobody. How did that affect you as far as shooting it? And, and oh, yeah, because it, it affected us. I mean, it was tough yeah, to work in that yeah, situation. I can't, let's be yeah. honest, right? It, 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 you guys, you know, obviously were the the most adversely affected by mm. it. You know, with no crowd. But from us, I mean, we there was a several different things that was you know the Zoom wall or this or. You yeah, know, we talked about it, having a Zoom crowd. Yeah, yeah. On a big tron. Uh, yeah. And I was stream. just concerned. I, that just, I didn't, I really didn't want to do that. And I don't know if I, don't remember if I talked Tony out of doing it. Why, why didn't you want to do it? Because it, to me, it just felt like it would be canned. It would not be, you know, have, I felt like we could get a lot better. It just didn't seem to me like it was, it would come Cause across because right, well i was one of the guys that said maybe we should I know, try a zoom i know thing. yeah we talked about that and we did talk about it and then WWE did end up doing it in the thunderdome but it didn't work it was it, like you said it just it was too mechanical people just didn't exactly. translate well and that's, right? yeah. that was my concern because you were there was right. no it was difficult to mix the the sound of the people the the look it just would to me it came across as it was going to look real plastic real fake real you know not that energy that I was talking about earlier about the crowd, you know, mm -hmm. making you feel like you're sitting. You wouldn't have felt like you were sitting at ringside. You would feel like you were, you know, watching a video game yeah. or whatever. And so, we, you know, it was a big transition. But I think the, the having the guys come in at ringside, you know, that the talent sitting at ringside mm -hmm. was a genius idea. I think that was probably Tony's idea. And it they, was, yeah. you know, brought in, helped out a lot of guys that, you know, were brought them in so they could work on dark and elevation and it made you know. such a big difference even though it was only let's say 40 or 50 people but to have those people there 
I mean, it really gave us a little bit of atmosphere, especially when the other shows didn't have that. Right. So even right. though it was only 20 people. It was enough. It was enough. And you guys, as, yeah. as we all learned together, you were able to shoot it properly where it looked like there was yeah. action, yeah. you know, energy. Yeah. And it, uh, you know, and that's what was so ironic that I did point out earlier when we were talking about the first day I met Tony and he brought me over here and we, you know, oh, yeah, it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like, you know, at that point I'm thinking there's no way we can, <laughs> yeah. how we're going to shoot this. And now we're really thrown a curve and. And it just worked. It was just intimate, and, and once again, kind of letting the you don't reveal the dimensions of the room that you're looking in. And by doing that, you allow people to suspend disbelief, and they begin to feel like That's this a is point. a full building yeah. because the dimensions aren't defined. You don't see an end to the crowd. So, you know, when That's you're shooting, point, yeah. and it's you know, I mean, shooting towards the stage. You know, it gave us the you know the opportunity to lose a whole wall basically we only had to worry about two now we didn't have because you know the fourth wall the cameras are there in this you know direct if we had you know all of our sets and everything up there which looked great because we have awesome scenic guys and 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 you know stage guys and jeff bornstein lighting it and you know all the all the different production people working their asses figure off. Figure out a way to make it work. Yeah. 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 And I think, but that's kind of the wrestling business, though, isn't it? You know? You got to go with the flow, You got to go with the flow. You know, if you exactly get in right. the way, yeah. you're going to get washed over, man. Yeah. You just have to go with the flow. And we've, we've said that for a lot of things. I remember we were laughing in Stadium Stampede, the first one where we had to finish like in three minutes or they're going to just shut the whole thing thing down because uh, we didn't have any idea yeah we show up there and phil will film it from nine o'clock and it's five in the morning and we're still like ah, what are we gonna do next torrential downpour for a couple oh, hours yes that 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 uh threw a curve in the whole taping <laughs> that'll shoot that'll blow your taping schedule right out of the water but yeah i don't think that i've ever had to say we need to hurry up and blow pyro because the sun's about to come up. I think that's that's the first and only time I've had to worry about beating the sun. But it, but it, we did it. You know we did it, it. and it was awesome. And it, and it yeah. came across. It was well received. It was a, fun, you know, when we went back and looked at it. That's what's so fun about what we do. Yeah. It's like a lot of different creative people come together and you know, add what yeah. their ideas and expand on it. And you know, you have. Ex- extremely creative people like yourself and you know kenny and the bucks and cody and kaz and cd and you know uh, any number of different people that are doing you know crazy stuff and uh so here we are today it's your last day uh, yeah you mentioned 40 years plus of experience in the business and all that stuff and uh why is today the last day well it it uh, specifically because we were f- several different reasons. First of all, Jr. told me he was coming back mm. today, and I wanted see him to yeah. see him while he was here. Um, it kind of was closure with the whole Jacksonville thing. Uh, originally, I was thinking about making Dallas my last day, but uh, you know, I just came up. I just my plan sort of got pushed back a little bit, mm. but. Just, uh, you know, my wife's been retired for five years. I'm ready to slow down a little bit uh, work-wise and just travel and have fun and show her some of the, uh, you know, 
places that I've gone and seen while she, bless her heart, awesome wife. Yeah. And we all have to have awesome have wives. To, if we don't have awesome wives, to be in this business if you find people, and... people that are miserable in this business is because they do not have a partner yeah. at home or traveling with them, you know, possibly that are willing to, you know, sacrifice as much as you'd have mm-hmm. to, to do it. Because traveling and doing this is not, you know, it's, no, it's, it's not it's a nine to five job. It's not you know, we, I've said for years that they pay me to travel i do the job yeah, for free that's right. and we all say that that's right you know but but you know i mean she it, it's it was time mm-hmm. you know and and uh jr and a couple other friends of mine told me when it's time you'll know, you'll know. and i just knew i just it's like okay it's time so how do you replace a keith mitchell like do you have somebody in mind you don't have to give any names but do you just yeah, kind of say think, see you later I, you know i think that that uh hopefully there are people that have done the the job that that I'm doing enough to, you know. There's there's two different positions. Like I said, the you know the line producer, which is the nuts and bolts, you know, during the show, and then executive producer where you're making long term decisions and such. And you know, and I've told Tony, you know, call me. You know, uh, you know, there's there's, you know, there's things that uh, that I could still help out with and still. You know, I said I can uh, consult. It consult from the ski resort in yeah. Brighton Ski. You know, right. I, I tore my ACL there. Yourself, yeah. I know. Well, that was ironically the uh, the day before all the lifts closed in COVID. Wow, where were you? Changed the world. I was uh, riding the taking the ride of shame down the ski slope being pulled down by ski patrol because i had torn my acl and couldn't stand up what mountain were you on oh uh well i was right below the uh majestic i was on the majestic side in 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 uh uh brighton salt lake city okay uh, you know the it's big uh the Big Cottonwood Canyon. It's the one that's yeah, yeah, yeah. that's Silverton, uh, uh, not Silverton, uh, Solitude, Brighton. Because yeah, we were in uh, Breckenridge, same yeah, thing. Yes, we, yes. Were, we were supposed to be there for whatever many days, and Friday the lift shut down, and Saturday everybody out yeah. of the pool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We got I, two days of skiing in before it was out. Out, yeah, yeah. Well, we, it was uh, it it was not a good day in a lot of ways. We go to the airport, and uh, you know, it's it's uh, almost. It's like being a third. It's like being in another country all of a sudden. Oh yeah, you know. Yeah, and that's how it was a, at the start. It yeah. was just the flip of a switch. It was so so bizarre. Well, but, but uh, we, we made but, it you through. Know, you know. The, but the, going back to just the whole start of AEW and what made me do it, you know, knowing that wrestling professionals with the the experience and knowledge of Chris Jericho, Cody Rhodes. The Bucks, Kenny, were willing to, you know, jump into it. And, you know, I've known you for a, a, a long, long time. time. 96. In fact, the most fun we're talking, you were talking about, you know, shooting stuff and whatever. I used to like to do the the location stuff when we would. And, and one of the most fun things I ever shot was when J.J. Uh, Dillon had uh disqualified or had, had <laughs> he he basically kicked you out of uh, a WCW and you were trying to take it up to a higher court 
and we were going to go to we were going to find somebody in Washington D.C. that would listen to your case. <laughs> you, know, we, so, you know, what's so funny about that is that uh, it, it was in Washington D.C. Like you said, where the first AEW show was. It'd be at the be at the building, the MCI Center at I don't know 10 a.m. I showed up there, and you showed up with your crew, and and I remember saying to you, for example, "So what are we doing?" And you're like, "I thought you knew what we were doing." I was like, "I thought you knew what we were doing." I was like, "Well, I guess we better go find something to do." And we just went out there and just we found just, a bunch of shit to do. And we had this guy. I think the guy owned a liquor store, and I don't know what else, but he had a connection at every guard shack in this. <laughs> In D.C., hey, we would pull up and stop, and he would sit there for a minute or two, and he'd say, oh, I know that guy. And he'd go up and talk to the guy for a minute. He'd go, okay, quick, grab the cameras, and you got to move quick. Yeah. So we'd run up to the steps, you know, and shoot We're it. filming and, the White House. I remember we yeah. weren't allowed to say the word president. <laughs> yes. You couldn't say yeah. You could say he, oh, take your case, or he is is in there at the time. That's right. But they, we were, yeah, we're shooting, at the, uh, shooting at the White House, and you cannot film the White House. So it was very quickly for those shots where it's like, get it done in 30 seconds or you're not getting it right okay, exactly go. so we would do it we would do it <laughs> and we edited it together <laughs> and we put it on the show and it's one of the classic Jericho bits it's actually got a lot hilarious of, man a lot of and, and the that. best part was was you trying to convince the little old lady sitting there uh, protesting the atomic bomb I, yeah. <laughs> that was you were well, I James, was a conspiracy victim so yes, I was talking to the conspiracy experts yeah. on, the, on, the, <laughs> on the front lawn of the White House <laughs> and the crazy thing is they pay us to do that stuff Keith last question for you I mean you've seen so many wrestling matches over the years uh, is there one or that stands out to you as like the best one you've seen you know that's a damn good question and i you know and i still go back to it is because of you know a wrestling match the, the purpose of as you know mm -hmm. entertainment is is getting emotion yeah. out of the viewer and and i have to go back to the to the carrie flair match you know because there was so much emotion yeah. in the fans in the talent in the people that worked on it i mean it's it would be hard to beat that match for me yeah. just because you know i'd never seen forty thousand people in an in a wrestling arena yeah. few had yeah you're right and to see that crowd explode and and you know i mean it was it was a magic magic moment and you know that uh the next runner-up may well be what set up the whole you know von eric uh, a few Freebird Von Eric feud was the slamming of cage the match. cage, you know, the yeah. cage match, and uh, that was that was great. It was the same show, wasn't it? No, it's was December. This, yeah, it was this was this was Christmas Day gotcha, at yeah. Reunion Arena, and the winner, yeah, the uh, yeah, I forget all the stipulations on it or whatever, but yeah. uh, but I think maybe if if David was David was still alive then, so I think that uh, the winner, if Kerry beat David, there was some, you know, stipulation. Yeah. If if uh, Kerry beat Flair, then David got the title because I think David was supposed to be. He the was, next and that's why they put Kerry in the position. Yes, right? yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So then, yeah, that that would probably be one of those Honestly, two. I think. How about you? What is your favorite um, match? It's hard to say, man. For me. Um, Undertaker and Shawn Michaels WrestleMania yeah. when they had uh, 
they had two of them, but the first one is probably the, the best wrestling match I've ever seen. I think yeah. it was 2009, maybe, in Phoenix. That one always pops into my head as my, as my favorite. And then yeah. Savage Steamboat, of course, from WrestleMania yeah. 3 yeah. is a great one. Uh, I've seen some great ones here in AEW as well. You know, exactly. Kenny and Hangman versus the Bucks was a classic. I mean, there's been so many, um, so many that you've been at, man. Yeah. So it's hard it's, to pick one. It's And that's why I picked one on the yeah. emotion. The, the emotion that I had, you know, and that's what, and that's what you have feel. to base on, like you said. So, uh, dude, it's been a pleasure. Oh, to work it's with my you. pleasure. And uh, your first podcast, you did great. My first it's, it's podcast, seventy five minutes. <laughs> no like way, that. no way. Like that, that's but amazing. Congratulations it's, on thanks, a great man. career, Keith. And it's been a pleasure to work with you, man. Thank you, man. I love you, man. Thank you very love much, you too, brother. Thank you. It's uh, it's been a pleasure.